0: I trust in
1: you. Greetings, Saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, we uh, thank you so much for making this opportunity. And uh, we ask you to bless us today in our understanding and in expectations of the things to come. Thank you so much, Father. Amen. Okay, we're going to talk about fiery trials bring great revival. Amen. And I'm going to start with the revelation given to a brother here. Uh let's see. Revival in the midst of economic pain. It's from Outpouring Gates 52022. And it's interesting. Uh in the be- And this is a partial, we didn't do the whole thing, we didn't do, because we just don't have enough room for today, but uh, in the beginning of this vision, I see myself walking on this long, narrow, concrete street. This represents, I believe, the narrow way and the solid foundation of Jesus that his disciples follow and are grounded upon. To my left and my right were buildings stacked side by side. They were completely side by side down this long, narrow street. They were all made out of the same color of cement as the street and the sidewalk. And uh, I would say, as we are going to see, the, the Lord showed him these buildings represent American small businesses. But I also believe that they represent the apostate churches who have joined house to house and are operated as if they were businesses, rather than led by the Spirit of God. Isaiah 5 and 8 through 13 says, Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no room, and you be made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. In mine ears says the Lord of hosts of a truth many houses shall be desolate even great and fair without inhabitant. Now we're going to see that about these buildings too. For 10 acres of vineyard shall yield one bath and a homer of uh, a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. In other words, famine. verse 11 Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink that tarry late into the night till wine inflame them. Well, spiritual drunkards are everywhere now, and uh, they do not perceive reality uh, or truth. Um, They're staggering around out there in their ignorance because they forgot the Bible is the foundation. And uh, the harp, and the lute, and the tablet, and the pipe, and wine are in their feasts. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither have they considered the operation of His hands. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity for lack of knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude are parched with thirst. So the apostate churches are not feeding the people with the water of the word. And uh, we go back, um, there were no alleyways and no way to get around these buildings. Well, physically speaking, there is no way to get around the judgment that has been pronounced by God on America and its people and the economy. Spiritually speaking, uh, since judgment begins at the house of God, the apostate churches will also not be able to avoid the coming tidal wave of judgment which will also bring a great revival. And as we will see um, in this revelation, he went on to say, I was thinking in in the vision, why are these buildings stacked side by side like this? And as I was watching and looking, the Lord was showing me symbolically that these buildings were not corporate businesses, but small American businesses or home businesses. So I kept on looking, and instantly I get this amazing download, I mean a download that I felt uh, throughout my body, that these businesses are empty, and no one's in them, and I am so overtaken by this understanding and sensation. Well, we know the Lord is going to empty the stores and businesses and also apostate churches, and we'll see why in, well, we have shared why in other revelations. Uh, Revelation 18:11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. Uh, religious leaders make merchandise of the people, according to the Scriptures, by putting them under laws that support them and their expensive buildings. And they buy and they sell books and merchandise instead of obeying the Lord who commanded freely you have received, freely give. This, of course, puts them in a position to have to walk by faith, which I can tell you if a person is sent and not just went, um, they can walk by faith and he will supply. And also Second Peter 2 and 3 says, And in covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Whose sentence now from of old lingereth not, and their destruction slumbereth not. He said, I felt a double emptiness in these American businesses. The first one was there, that one was there, was no one working in these businesses. The second one was there was absolutely nothing in them to purchase. Well, uh, I believe that this double emptiness represents this dual interpretation of judgment on the physical businesses and economy and the judgment on the apostate churches as well. Uh, So I continued to keep looking, and I was observing myself in this vision doing things. Each building was stacked side by side, but they weren't the same size. They were decorated and designed differently. Uh, I believe that this probably represents all different kinds of businesses and commerce that will be destroyed in the current coming crash, and also that these decorated and differently designed buildings with their flashiness represent the different denominations of apostate Christianity that attract people with commercialism and uh, the different apparel that they have dress themselves with, instead of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 4 and 1 says, And seven women, um, I believe this is the seven churches, uh, shall take hold of one man, Jesus, in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name. Take thou away our reproach. Well, of course, that's what's going on. Uh, continuing, as I'm watching myself, I began to uh, walk up about five or ten steps to a business building on the right. It had a really nice, big, heavy red door, and was the only building that seemed to have steps going up to it. Well, five is the number of grace, and ten is the number of law, and the five to ten steps represents our new covenant that Jesus brought us, which is a, a law of grace. And the red door is Jesus and his blood that is the only way to enter the kingdom. But notice, I grabbed this gold long bar handle on the red door, and I was yanking it like, come on, open. I continued to pull on it using um, a lot of strength now, and it just wouldn't open. Well, I believe this represents that the apostate Pharisees of our day have locked the red door, which is Jesus and his blood, and that he shed for our salvation in all things, and have not allowed the people access to their true Savior and the completeness of his salvation. Matthew 23 and 13 says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven against men, for you enter not in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering in to enter. Mm -hmm. And that's what they did in Jesus' day, and that's what they're doing in our day. So after seeing myself pulling on this door and it not opening, I saw myself stop, look ahead, And stand there and I'm like okay then I hear the voice of the Lord speak to me and say an economic plan and I said an economic plan I was expecting him to say an economic collapse but he said an economic plan well this economic crash has been carefully planned by the deep state and uh, their front organization, the World Economic Forum. And God is sovereign over the plans of the deep state, and ultimately it is his plan. In Proverbs 16 and 9, uh, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. I said, okay, and I understood what that meant that this was a planned-out economic situation that Americans were in, and it was all planned out. And and then he said, a stripping of the American people, quote-unquote. But the key word he had me focus on, and he is bringing right back to my remembrance, is the American people. God is identifying the American people And not so much the politicians in in the corporate world. He's focusing on the damage being done to them in this vision. And he's saying the economic plan against the American people is to strip them. Well, let me say, (laughs) it will also strip uh, the merchants of Babylon, right? The religious merchants of Babylon. It wasn't just to strip them of business, he said, but it was to strip them of the supply from the businesses. So the apostates need to be stripped of all their Babylonish idols and distractions and the things that they depend upon besides God. Because we know that much of the church is not full gospel, and much of the full gospel church is not full gospel, and people do not put their faith in God. They put their faith in all of the works and ideas of men. So he went on to say, in this vision I understood that the the businesses were empty and no one was working there. So if someone were going to loot or try to steal from these businesses, there would be no point because they were totally empty. Well, I believe this is representing severe supply shortage and unemployment and um, inability of the apostate churches to really get any kind of message out. Even the street I was on had no cars. It was empty. And so I just kept looking, and some time passed, and then after the, uh, from the left, To the right, I saw this gold luminescent wave. It literally looked like a tidal wave of water, but it was completely gold luminescent. And uh, this was the glory of God coming down from the sky. As it came down, God was speaking. I'm interjecting my glory into their economic plan. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, see, the plan is being permitted by God because he wants to do something in the church and those who would be in the church. So this is where the man-child reformers will begin the revival with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So, it was uh, angling down and coming straight at a business building, and I understood that God, as he was sending his glory down, he was going to interject his plan into the economic plan that they have against the American people. Well, um, this is for the benefit of God's elect. All those who are caught up in apostasy will be turned back to him through painful times of lack. At the same time, this tidal wave will be a judgment upon the wicked. There will be a transfer of wealth that we'll speak about uh, probably in the next revelation here. Okay. He said, I saw the glory of God interject into their economic plan into a business building that was empty of employees and empty of supply. He let me know that he's going to allow things to be stripped because his people need a Savior. And the best way to see a Savior is when you need the full salvation from him. Amen. So, you know, this time of lack is going to cause people to turn to prayer instead of their own efforts and their own ways, you know. So these desperate times will turn many back to a true relationship with the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, he went on to say that that means depletion of what is keeping them from being desperate for the Lord. That desperation, that all-or-nothing lifestyle, that all-or-nothing want, that His Word clearly says we all have, we all have to have. Excuse me, uh, Matthew ten thirty-seven through thirty-nine. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that doth not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And all of this is about uh, causing people to lose their old life and come into this new life because of this revival. He went on to say, God is going to do a stripping God is going to allow things to happen a certain way, but it's for all of us to finally start to look up. It's for all of us as a body to get our eyes up again on the Savior instead of each other, instead of in the world, instead of the fruits of the world, the things that you can do in this world, getting back to the core original gospel of things. Amen. Ecclesiastes 8.11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Well, speedily, I believe God is going to make a correction here. (laughs) So he went on to say, so I know many people are praying to God for revival and he will bring revival. But understand, understand, When you ask for revival, you're asking God to cause the focal point to be turned back to Him. That means there has to be a shift from the focal point being towards the worldly to being placed back onto Him. And if people aren't willing to turn back out of sheer free will, and God has had enough patience already, he will then drive the land so that the people will finally turn, start to turn on their own back to Him. Uh, this revival is not without an invitation to the Holy Spirit, just like in the book of Acts. There was an invitation, and then there was a restoration, and then the outpouring came. But the restoration wasn't a possession. It was a restoration of heart want or desire there was a heart want restoration towards god and then the outpouring of the holy spirit happened they were waiting for the holy spirit to come they were in one accord in that upper room and and totally focused on christ and then just like a rushing wind the holy spirit came in and rested upon them it was an invitation on their part They were already looking for him and desiring him. Yeah, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit isn't an involuntary possession. He will not come in uh, an uninvited or undesired format, right? You want to say we want a revival, but billions aren't looking. Millions aren't looking. God is. Has to ripen things that are weak, and this weakness is the attention, focus, and the will of the people. God is in all of His, God in all of His mercy, has waited long enough for people to repent on their own, and uh, millions still haven't, despite all they are going through or doing. Well, people don't really repent on their own. God grants repentance. The Bible says, "Okay." It's so black and white. The line is drawn very clearly nowadays. You, you have people of all ages, ranges, and they either love God or want Him and want Him. Uh, they are completely on fire for Him or want nothing to do with Him. But this is just as the Word said. He is drawing a line in the sand. Choose your side. Period. Period. Yeah, Matthew 24 and 40 says, Then shall two men be in the field, one is taken and one is left. There are two men in the earth, Christ and Antichrist, right? So these these two must be separated, and that's what this coming tribulation is all about. So understand when we ask for revival, God's going to do it perfectly, not 80%. And when we ask for something, He's going to do it in His perfect way because He loves us enough to do it in His perfect way. So we've got to be ready for what we might see. Based on what uh, I was seeing in this vision, we have to get ready for some hard things. We have to understand that it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. This isn't something to feel discouraged or depressed about, thinking, oh man, I'm going to have to go through this. Yeah, some people do feel that way right now, and that's their doctrine too. So no, we have to only look at our examples in the Bible of who else has been through situations like this. Elijah, Noah, Nehemiah, you have to only look to them and say, what did God do in their lives? Oh, oh wow, they were fully sustained and had more than enough. Amen. But that's for the people who were like them, right? Philippians 4:19, "My God shall supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Most Christians never get to find out that this is true. They've never been put in a position to need it. <laughs> but they aren't going to be now. So now I want to turn to another revelation here. Um, That one was about what you're going to see in the world, in the worldly church. And this one is about what you're going to see in the first fruits. There is going to be a difference. This whole thing is going to work out according to God's plan, not man's plan. So we call this God's plan for the first fruits. And this was um, uh, a dream that was given to Julie Wedby. 52522 uh, This dream started with me receiving a letter in the mailbox. I opened it to find a check that I only hurriedly glanced at as my family and I were on our way to a meeting of great importance and we couldn't be late. The re- the meeting included Yahushua's remnant from all over the world, some of whom I recognized but most I did not. Well, let me just make a note about this since we're, they're going to continue using this. Um, God put up a, a numeric pattern in every letter of both Old Testament Hebrew and New Testament Greek. This is so that men couldn't add to or take away from it. Um, the New Testament uh, was written in Greek. We know that because it has this numeric pattern. Uh, there is no numeric pattern like this in the Hebrew New Testament and because it was translated from the Greek, okay? Uh, in uh, Jeremiah 3.19, Father said, You shall call me my father. It's a very personal name. It's greater than these impersonal names that he was known by in the Old Testament. It's a greater relationship. It's a grace relationship. And so Jesus did this, and he taught his disciples to do this also, which is call him my father. He did this. He taught them to do it in prayer. Our father, right? Uh, For those who are holy and follow him, he permits minor differences, and so must we, you know, including this holy name thing. And when he returns to Spiritual Zion, all will see eye to eye. Jesus also is a translation of the numeric Greek Isus with variations in different languages. He permits it all. And if you pray in any one of those names in those languages, God answers because it's, it, it's who you know, not what you know about his theology or his name, Okay. Name means nature, character, and authority, by the way, okay? So, uh, she went on, the location was remote, and we met outdoors in a camp-like setting. A long fold-out table was set up, and as we arrived, two older men instructed my husband and I to sit down, and this, I believe, represents resting from works, okay, okay? The men could best be described as elders, distinguished and mature, and I was pretty sure they were angelic in nature, as their disposition was not at all like the others there. <laughs> they were dressed very differently as well, in long white robes with some kind of head covering. Well, the first fruits, man-child reformers are going to be the ones to introduce uh, God's kingdom Uh, Resurrection. Um, Just as Jesus, who was the man child of his day, brought the revival, so it will be in this day. Him in his first fruits, reformers, because Christ in you, the hope of glory, uh, is manifested in them, as it will be in the church. The message from them was very simple. When everyone was quiet, one of the men simply stated, the transfer of wealth has taken place. Hmm Proverbs 13 and 22, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. And that's exactly what's happening. Cyrus's job uh, was to uh, bring in uh, this... Transfer of wealth in order that the kingdom could be rebuilt, which had been destroyed by Babylon. And Cyrus is in the process of destroying Babylon right now. So, but, but who is going to be able to partake of this? That's the thing. It's not like they say that it's going to restore all of the economy and everything's going to be hunky-dory. It doesn't seem to be that way at all. I was shocked, so I asked uh, the one who spoke, How do you know? Do you have a confirmation that this is true and from the Father? The man said to me, What did you bring with you today? I then remembered that I had stuffed the check from the mail into my pocket, and so I reached into to get it. I understood from him that I was to look at the check more carefully. And when I did, I saw the number one, and then more zeros than I could quickly count, even going off the page of the check. And I asked the elder, when will this happen? And he said, by the time you awaken tomorrow, <laughs> all will already have manifested. Well, this has, probably has some hidden meanings here. Um, but the the numbers going off of the check You know, just simply says God is going to provide everything for what she's calling the remnant. What we call is the first fruits. He is going to provide everything. The rest of them won't recognize what's going on. At that moment, I had a vision within the dream, and I saw myself and many others of the remnant going to banks and financial institutions And I was given the understanding that we were all withdrawing unlimited amounts of money for whatever purpose God, Father, had given us as our task to accomplish. Okay. I also saw lands, structures, supplies, machinery, and much more just start appearing as many have been praying for years and years. And after looking at the check... And then seeing the vision, I suddenly felt an anointing fall on everyone there at the fellowship meeting. My entire body was filled from head to toe along with everyone else's uh, uh, present and with the spirit of the living, Yahuwah, Father God. A deliverance from years to, cu- to of the curse uh, for is coming for the overcomers, a total restoration In Joel chapter 2, there was a restoration of the people who were there, which if you look in the text, it was Zion, Jerusalem, the bride. There was a great deliverance and a great uh, revival started there with the outpouring of God's Spirit. Okay, Joel chapter 2, read it. We all simultaneously began weeping uncontrollably, praising Father with all of our hearts. Our bodies were electrified and yet filled and carried as we found ourselves linking arms and dancing to the glory and praise of Yahushua. Everyone was shouting praises to our king, Yahushua, for his incredible faithfulness in fulfilling his promises to his remnant. I understood the transfer of kingdom wealth and the timing of the transformation of his remnant in at least in this dream, was very close together, and that is the end of the dream. Well, again, I say in Joel chapter 2, the restoration for the bride was at the time of the outpouring of the Spirit after the beast had been slaughtered. We're seeing, we're coming to this slaughtering, we're watching it happen out there, at least people who are in the know are watching the deep state being taken down and slaughtered and uh, it's not that they're not going to do guerrilla warfare into the future with their uh, plagues and so on and so forth they will but um, they'll have no position in government or banking because that's being taken down okay There's a scripture that goes with this in Proverbs 13 and 22. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just, or the righteous, right? Yeah. So, a note. uh, Although this dream was about the transfer of wealth that will very soon take place, Yahushua, has impressed upon me that there is much more taking place right now in his remnant. Yes, that's true. He is uh, finishing a bride in preparation for the coming of the groom to lead her through the tribulation and in, in, in also that using her to go forth two by two and in every other way to bring in the church. Uh, to go through this wilderness, okay? This dream shows us the fulfillment of his promises and uh, that he will always provide for his own, and we have the hope and assurance that all of our needs have been and will continue to be met. I asked him what his instructions are for his remnant right now as we wait for our transformation, and this was his response. My dearest daughter and all those who walk in obedience to me, another large shift has taken place. Those of you sensitive to my spirit know that this season is much different from any you have experienced in the past. You have been trained and taught. However, I remind you of the words that I have spoken to you over the years, that my bride will see much, much just before I come for you. It's not all that is truly evil on full display now. Yes, it is. It's all all being seen. It's all coming out. A great revelation of what the evil was that many people were pledging allegiance to. <laughs> yeah. Um, she went on to say, A full disclosure of all the enemy's wicked plans for the souls of men is upon you. It must be so in order that all that has remained hidden for so long is now uncovered. Well, it's being uncovered. It's being—it's leaking out, leaking out, leaking out, and um, people are beginning to see what's going on behind the scenes, what's been going on behind the scenes, and how these uh, these satanists have taken over the world. We have to include, of course, that in Revelation chapter 12, Satan and his demons are cast down to the earth. And it, and it happened because of the saints and their prayers and their commitment to the blood of Jesus and because they loved not their life unto death and so on and so forth. Have I not said I will expose all things? Evil has been manifesting without hindrance but only for a very short time and then I will act. All that was hidden is now being brought to the surface and agendas once secret are now being revealed. This is done in order that the decision a soul must make is extremely clear. You are either for me or against me. Just when the enemy believes that he will have the victory, I will powerfully manifest in and through my army, and this world will not have known anything like this since the beginning. I will cut through the hearts of men with my sword of truth, and many, many will be saved. Amen. A great revival is going to come in the midst of this turmoil, right? And people's eyes are open to what true leadership is and what the truth is. And that, of course, is going to leave a lot of apostate preachers high and dry. Okay. She went on to say, prophesy, you ask me what I would have you to do, my jewels, declare In unity, all of my truths in this realm many times throughout your day. Declare a thing, and it shall be so. There is unmatched power and authority when my truth is being spoken collectively. Yes, one will chase a thousand, two will chase ten thousand, right? Declare what is already done in the spiritual to manifest in the physical now. Amen. Call forth the fulfillment of my promises and watch what I will do. Declare miracles, supernatural blessings, provision and protection, and it will be as you have declared it, because my storehouses of heaven are open. Well, that's a good time, and there's people who will take advantage of that because they believe the word of God. Others will. Although they say they're Christians, they do not believe the Word of God. They've been short-circuited by the Pharisees of our day and um, not permitted to go through the door, so to speak. So we, we have decreed the transfer of wealth to rebuild the kingdom, and I think everybody out there needs to do that too. As I am in my Father, you are in me. So you are in the Father, and we operate as one. As heirs to my kingdom, my royal priesthood, and sons and daughters, much has been given. And now I require from you, uh, for you to take a powerful spiritual stand like you have not done before. Well, Matthew 18 and 18 says, Verily I say unto you, what things soever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Few believe this, but it's still the facts. And what things soever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Because it's not the devil who reigns on earth. It is the people of God. They reign upon the earth, it says. Well, uh, saints, I'd say, begin to loose the finances to spread the gospel over the world and uh, to make a refuge and to build up the church to be prepared for these coming days. Amen. She went on, you are to be uh, bold and courageous and without fear. Many of you who have been hidden in secret will now come forth, but do not be afraid for I am with you. I go before you and nothing by any means can harm you. You were born for such a time as this, so rejoice, my children, the hour is much later than most understand. Well, that's absolutely true. But you, as my set-apart ones, know this, and you will shine in the light of your Creator in the midst of the darkest of days on this earth. I have much to share with you, and great is the reward of you who have overcome. Well, notice, The righteous are going to shine, but the darkness is very dark. Uh, The provision is, of course, to build the kingdom. So the shining light is where all the provision is going to be. And a lot of people are going to be drawn uh, to the bride as the scriptures repeat over and over and over, uh, especially in the latter uh, chapters of Isaiah, you know. That the people are coming back underneath the bride, as it was in the days of David when he ruled over the bride, Jerusalem, and Jerusalem uh, ruled over the people. God is restoring the kingdom after that type and shadow. A greater work is now taking place within my first fruits group, and not all who were in agreement with you previously will continue to be. That's true, it'll bring a separation. And this will especially be noticed in those who call themselves my believers and followers. My word says I will come to judge my church first, and that is what is taking place. Yeah, God is uh, first gathering the tares into bundles to burn them. And then his glorious church will shine forth in the kingdom, right? Right? So this needs to take place. And each one of you has a unique assignment and purpose, she said, and you must cleave to the intimate counsel you each have been given in order to maintain your focus as all is shifting so rapidly now. So when I say go, stay, and when I say stay and do not engage, unless explicitly instructed to do so. In other words, listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, listen. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, get filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be led by the Spirit, and some will fall into desperate situations because they're led by their mind, like most of the church is. Okay, it's very important to be filled with and led by the Spirit. For to do otherwise is dangerous. He said, go when I say go, and stay when I say stay. And do not engage unless explicitly instructed to do so. In other words, go to God about everything that you do, right? Do not concern yourselves with the outcome of loved ones who cannot make the choice to fully surrender right now. True. True. Bless them and stay on your course for me. I have told you I have them. So pray for them unceasingly and trust me. Your prayers are more powerful than you would believe. Sweet incense to me and I hear each one. A great anointing will fall upon you, my beautiful ones, and nothing will remain the same again. Continue to stay emptied of self and sit at my feet continually. There are many that assist you in the unseen, and these too will very soon be revealed. My plan is a game changer for the enemy as I set the world on fire with my spirit and as my truth invades, all must respond. As the frequency shifts and uh, love pours in, my design is perfect as I am perfect, and I am that I am Yahushua. Okay. Well, thus far we do see that um, the glorious New Age idea of what is coming coming—it's uh, not going to be quite so. Okay. Um, they... They believe that the whole United States and all of the world is going to be totally restored uh, to uh, peace and safety and all provision. And, of course, that's a lie. Um, The Lord is doing this. He is using this to bring about this transfer of wealth in order to rebuild his kingdom. The world still needs tribulation, troubles, pain. In order for them to look to Jesus and come to Jesus and enter into this provision, uh, a lot of the New Age people, of course, believe that they are God's elect, but the fact is, they don't. They deny the fact that Jesus is the only way to God. And uh, so, uh, the important thing is that uh, when they see God's great provision uh, poured out for those who are in God's favor they will understand in many cases uh who are really correct in all this revelation out there about who God is okay so um well father you know ha- is going to continue to do a great work let me just share this with you this is a revelation uh, Michelle Rogers got 41220 we called it cloud by day, fire by night, Isaiah 4 sign. Between April 5th and the 7th of 2020, Hurricane Harold means uh, military power or army ruler. Harold was a Category 5 hurricane that hit two islands in the South Pacific nation of Vanatu. The uh, island Espiritu Santo, which is interpreted as Holy Spirit Island, and Pentecost Island. Well, this represents God's grace being poured out in a storm of revival while the storm of judgment falls upon the wicked, right? She went on to say, It stuck me as uh, significant that the storm made landfall on islands named Holy Spirit and Pentecost. So I began looking into it and asking the Lord about it. The first thing that stood out to me was that this archipelago is... Um, Located in what is called the New Hebra- Hebrides, which takes its name from the Scottish Hebrides Islands, where a powerful revival broke out in the 1940s. Yeah, and this represents that God is going to do a repeat of history by sending a greater revival. Amen. Like Ecclesiastes 1 9, That which hath been is that which shall be, and that which hath been done is that which shall be done. There's no new thing under the sun. And when the Lord began quickening my spirit to particular signs and events in 2018, I soon discovered that certain dates and numbers corresponded with Scripture. And when I asked Him which book, the answer that came to my mind was Isaiah, always Isaiah. (laughs) The storm was uh, formed on April the 1st and then hit both islands between the 5th and the 7th of April. As such, it seemed that this sign was pointing me uh, generally to chapter 4 of the book of Isaiah with particular emphasis on verses 5 and 6. April being the fourth month corresponding to the fourth chapter and the days corresponding to verses 5 and 6. Yes, many people have discovered this and known this and it's very interesting how God can point it out to people. God often uses numbers when he speaks, and his word is written in a perfect numeric pattern. In fact, his numeric pattern is in all of creation, so it shouldn't be surprised that he, that he did it in his, his word, right? Isaiah 4, 5, and 6 says, And the Lord will create over the whole habitation of Mount Zion and over her assemblies, Mount Zion, of course, the bride, A cloud and a smoke by day and a shining of a flaming fire by night for over all the glory shall be spread a covering and there shall be a pavilion for a shade in the daytime from the heat and for a refuge and for a covert from the storm and from rain. Yes, uh, this particular text was pointed out to me by the Lord many years ago and what he was going to do. Well, since herald means army ruler, it came to me that God was coming to take charge over his church. In my spirit I felt him say, I am taking my spirit off of Saul, uh, those who fear man more than they fear me, and placing it on the Davids who have pure hearts. No longer will the church be ruled by man, for God is removing the Sauls who desire to please man and placing his spirit on the Davids, who have experienced God on the mountaintop and have revelation of him. Yes, and uh, many years ago, Father spoke this same kind of a word to me, and he said, I am removing the Saul's to make room for the Davids, and you are one of my Davids. So, these new david manchild reformers caught up to the throne of authority on the mountaintop and they will lead god's elect into the wilderness and the greatest revival of all time um so this is what is coming this catching up um to the throne okay Speaking to Goliath, David said in 1 Samuel seventeen forty-five through 47 This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from off of thee, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day unto the birds of the heavens and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hand. So the little Davids, the man-childs, will smite the giant enemies of God's people to show that God's power is made perfect in man's weaknesses. I also believed he was saying that the spirit of burning would purify the body of Christ in this hour, leading to his spirit resting on assemblies. It was a confirmation to read about David Eale's teaching and insights into this revelation. As I was musing all over, all over all of this, my friend Caroline. Uh, texted me a video and a song written many years ago by a friend of ours entitled, Cloud by Day, Fire by Night. I could not believe my eyes. This was a confirmation, and I believe that this is saying that the only safe place in the coming days will be in the Holy Spirit-led, Spirit-ruled, purified assemblies. All who are abiding in Christ... Will have this Psalm ninety-one protection and provision. The Lord is going to supernaturally assemble His believers into groups or refuges for fellowship, safety, and preparation for ministry in the days to come. Amen. Okay, back to um, her revelation. The Lord also led me to Isaiah thirty-one and two. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord that take counsel but not of me, and that make a league but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that set out to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to take refuge in the shadow of Egypt. Well, that's true. And uh, Michelle recently came to our our ministry and and, um, shared some of her dreams, and they were very good. Um, She says in the King James Version uh, that I usually read, it says that the rebellious children um, cover with a covering, but not of my spirit. Slightly different there. Um, The only covering in this hour is the covering of his spirit and not the covering of man's strength. Yes, people who have trusted in these things will find themselves failing, you know. Jeremiah 17:5 and 7 through 8. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose trust the Lord is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, that spreadeth out its roots by the river, and shall not fear when heat cometh, but its leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. The only safe place in this hour is in the Spirit-filled life and assembly. Amen. So, uh, brethren, I want you to see that what's been told us from the alliance is not completely so. Um, yes, God is going to use them up to a point, and beyond that, things will not be restored. And uh, but God is going to make a provision for the church to seek out people who have knowledge of the coming days and the ability to be preserved through the days now and then. Um, So this is all God's work. He is not going to fail. He will supply your every need according to His riches and glory. It's time to start believing that. Um, The provisions of the world will fail. Uh, Many other things are are going to fail and not come back. And... um, Anyway, but God's purpose thus far through this thing is going to be to rebuild the kingdom. And uh, as far as out there in the world and the worldly church, there's going to be lack. Yeah, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be persecution and so on and so forth. In a vision I had way back in 2007, there was a refuge in. The uh, people were fleeing on to the refuge, and when you looked past the outer bounds of the refuge, there was every kind of disaster and lack and trouble and tribulation out there. Of course, that's why they were fleeing on to the refuge, you see? So, you know, the um, thousand years of, of uh, peace that the uh, new age people who have kind of gathered around this alliance thing uh, is just pure baloney. The only ones that can have peace is the righteous. There is no peace to the wicked, saith the Lord. We must uh, believe God's word. There's a reason for that. Uh, When there's no peace in in where you are and no provision where you are, you tend to look elsewhere. And that's what God wants. Amen. All right. Well, God bless you and keep you. And uh we'll do this again sometime. And uh Father, we um ask that you be with Michael and the brethren and um uh, bless them mightily by your spirit and your words. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, Saints. Man, we got a nice warm day here today. Thank you, Lord. The sun's shining. It's awesome out there on this uh, November uh, day. Let's go to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for all of your precious promises, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit bring to remembrance all things that you said unto us to defend us against the works of the devil and the curses of this world. Father, we thank you that you put this word in our hearts to defend us, that it's a shield of faith and a sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to fight that good fight of the faith and to lay hold on that life that is life indeed. Thank you, Father. Lord, please continue to guide us through your word and draw us as your disciples Into the image of your son Jesus, and we praise you and thank you, Lord, for that. Amen. Thank you, Father. All right. Want to talk a little bit about how faith comes? Let's go to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Then Hebrews 11. And six, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, if you'll notice, particularly in that first part of Hebrews 11 and six, it says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, if God demands that I have faith when it's impossible for me to have faith, then i got a right to challenge His justice in that. But if He places in my hands the means whereby faith can be produced, then the responsibility will rest with me whether or not I have faith, right? God has told us that without faith it is impossible to please Him. But he's also told us how to get faith. And if we don't have faith, God's not to blame in that. And to blame God for our lack of faith is nothing in the world but sheer ignorance. And if we lack faith, we are to blame. Now we know that God gives us faith. And we're to multiply that faith by getting in the word of God. And that's true also. Uh, Concerning faith for salvation faith for salvation also comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God Romans 10 and 17 Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves It's the gift of God So we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God But how are we to get faith to get saved? Romans chapter 10 tells us this. Uh, Let's start out 8 through 10 first. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Then verse 13 and 14. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Men are saved by hearing God's word, because the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10:17). You can't believe and have faith without hearing the word of God. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 11, we read uh, about that man, Cornelius, who, who he was, although he was devout, he hadn't been saved yet. He hadn't heard the gospel yet. So he couldn't have been saved, right? He wasn't saved, Cornelius was not saved until he heard Peter preach. Now, there was an angel that spoke to Cornelius, but he couldn't preach the gospel to Cornelius because angels cannot preach the gospel. God sent men to preach. Remember what Jesus said. He said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation, Mark 16 and 15. But the angel could tell Cornelius where to go and to get somebody who could preach the gospel to him. And he did that in Acts 11 and 13. The angel told Cornelius to call for Peter. Acts 10, verses 5 and 6. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. Now Acts eleven and fourteen reports that the angel said that Peter would preach the gospel to Cornelius. Acts eleven and fourteen, who shall speak unto thee words, whereby thou shalt be saved, thou and all thy house. So that verse tells us right there; it shows us that men are saved by hearing God's word then Romans 10 17 again so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God you can't believe without hearing there's a lot of there trying to believe without hearing how does faith for healing come the same way by hearing the Word of God concerning healing in Acts 14 we're told the story of the impotent man who received his healing because of what he heard act 14 Verses 7 through 10. And there they, that's old Paul and Barnabas, preached the gospel. And at Lystra there sat a certain man, impotent in his feet, a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speaking, he heard Paul speaking there, who fastening his eyes upon him, and seeing that he had faith to be made whole, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet and he leaped up and walked now no <clears throat> this any casual reader of the word of god might say this that how wonderful it was that paul healed that man now i've heard it y'all have heard it everybody's heard but paul did not heal the man that man was not healed because paul was an apostle The man was not healed by Paul's faith because the man himself had the faith to be healed. But notice what had to take place before the man was healed. And there they, Paul and Barnabas, preached the gospel. So Paul did three things, didn't he? He preached the gospel to the man. He perceived that the man had faith to be healed. And then he told that man to rise up and walk, didn't he? Now, the man, he did three things too. He heard Paul preach the gospel. He had faith to be healed. Then he leaped up and walked. Now, the man was not healed by some special power that Paul had. The man himself had faith to be healed. Where and how did he get that faith to be healed? Well, he got it from what he heard, remember? Remember? Acts 14.9 says the same, talking about the man, heard Paul speak. What did he speak? Well, there they preached the gospel, it says. And if Paul preached what we call the gospel of salvation, how did the man get faith to be healed? Well, a man got faith to be healed because Paul preached what the Bible calls the gospel, which also includes healing. In Mark 5 and 34, Concerning the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus said this. Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. So we see that the Bible clearly shows that faith hadn't been done away with. The man at Lystra had faith to be healed and concerning the woman with the issue of blood, it was her faith that made her whole. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, if you'll notice in Mark chapter 5 and verse 34, that Jesus didn't say that his power, or his faith, had made the woman whole. Jesus said to the woman, Thy faith hath made thee whole, in Mark 5 and 34. Okay, let's look a little closer. Look, Let's take a little closer look at the man at Lystra. Who had faith to be healed. How did he get that faith? From what he heard. What did he hear? He heard the word of God, folks. Is there something about hearing the gospel that would cause a lifelong cripple to be healed? Sure it is. Absolutely there is. Healing is a part of the gospel. Paul preached the gospel of salvation. That includes healing. The Bible just simply calls it the gospel. It includes everything. How do we know he did? Well, look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, the Hebrew and Greek words for salvation imply the ideas of deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. Paul preached the whole gospel. He didn't just preach part of it. And if you'll notice, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Now, salvation in the New Testament is generally that Greek word, "soteria," And the Greek word for save is so-so. And it has a meaning of deliverance, salvation, preservation, healing, provision. My God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 Too many people limit salvation to that real narrow band of revelation. I'm telling you folks, it's a whole lot bigger than that. Now, if you talk to a Greek man, he'd tell you that Soteria means all of my needs supplied like a little baby. Because it is to believers. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everybody that believes. And not necessarily to what we loosely call Christians, but to believers. Romans 1 and 16, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is revealed a righteousness. Because, folks, we're counted righteous by our faith. The people who walk by faith are the ones who are justified in the New Testament. And counted righteous means justified, right? For therein is revealed a righteousness of God from faith unto faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live from faith. And God puts a high premium on people who believe his word and act on it. James 2 and 17 says even so faith if it has not works is dead in itself. And in verse 18. I by my works will show thee my faith. People who act on what the word says will see results. They're going to receive the power from God on high. And we know that healing so we know here that healing was a part of the gospel. because. Uh, There are other scriptures in there to indicate it as well. Let's look in Acts chapter 8, verse 5 through 8. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed unto them the Christ. And the multitudes gave heed with one accord unto the things that were spoken by Philip when they heard and saw the signs which he did. For from many of those that had unclean spirits, they came out crying with a loud voice, and many that were palsied and that were lame were healed. And there was much joy in that city. Well, I expect so. Now, if you'll notice in verse 7, the miracles that followed the preaching of the word was the gospel. Those healing miracles and deliverances all came about as a result of preaching Christ. The New Testament knows no Christ without Christ the healer. We're talking about physical healing. Divine healing is part and parcel of the gospel. If there's no gospel of healing today, then none of us has a gospel of salvation to preach either because healing is included in the atonement, The atonement, Isaiah 53. And Mark 5.25 tells us that there was a certain woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years. And the word tells us that she had spent all her living and had gone to a bunch of physicians, but she wasn't any better. But then she heard about Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. Mark chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Having the having heard the things concerning Jesus, okay, there, she's already heard about Jesus now, she came in the crowd behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch but his garments... I shall be made whole. And then verse 34, when she got already got healed, and Jesus, and he Jesus said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Where did this woman get faith to receive healing? Well, she got faith when she had heard of Jesus. Mark 5 27. Did you know, and there's a lot of this, some of you may be doing this, that it's unscriptural to pray to God for healing using the words, If it be thy will. Folks, when you put an if in your prayer and praying for anything God has promised you, already promised you in his word, you're praying in doubt and unbelief. Some people think they're being humble when they pray that away. But what they are, they're just being ignorant. In other words, when you pray in faith, you don't use an if, okay? You ain't going to get any answers to, the, to that prayer of faith if you put ifs in your prayers. But when you are praying a prayer of consecration, committing your life to the plan of God, then you can use the phrase, if it be thy will, because you don't know for sure what the Lord will is. When you're praying the prayer of consecration, you're not praying to change something, but the prayer of faith is the prayer to change things and if is the badge of doubt and the word if ought not to be used in your prayers if you're trying to change the situation okay now let's go to Matthew 8 and 17 that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Then Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now some translations read this. It says, Surely he hath borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, folks, there's a provision for every need, salvation, deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. And whatever need you have, to uh, the faith to receive your answer comes from hearing the word of God. And as you determine to feed upon the word continually, continually you'll see your faith grow to be able to receive the wonderful promises God has provided for his children. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God's telling us exactly what Bible faith is. And Hebrews 11 and 1 says that faith is the evidence of things not seen, and faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, faith is substance. Moffat's translation of Hebrews eleven one reads: "Now faith means that we are confident of what we hope for, convinced of what we don't see." And another translation reads: "Faith is giving substance to things hoped for." However, we have to understand that there are a number of kinds of faith. For example, everyone has a natural human faith, whether they are saved or unsaved. But in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, God is talking about a scriptural faith, a biblical faith, a Bible faith that is believing with your heart. Now, there's a vast difference between believing with your heart and just believing what your physical senses tell you, okay? Bible faith is laying hold of the unseen realm of hope and bringing it into the realm of reality, and Bible faith grows out of the Word of God. Now, another translation of Hebrews 11, 1 says, Faith is the warranty deed. The thing for which you have fondly hoped for is at last yours. <laughs> for example, you hope for finances to meet any kind of obligations that you might have. Faith gives you the assurance that you're going to have the money when you need it. Because faith is the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11, 1. You hope for physical strength to do the work you know you must do. But faith says this. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalms 47 1. Faith will say about itself everything that the word says. For faith is God. In God is faith in his word. Okay. It, it would be a wonderful thing if folks would learn that particular message right there and act on it. And then you see the very strength of God and every blessing he has made available to them would become theirs. The Bible says the Lord is the strength of my life in Psalms 27 and 11. My life consists of the physical as well as the spiritual and the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, folks, it ain't enough just to have faith. We have to act on that faith. And that's where a lot of people miss what faith is. They want to get what they are believing God for and then believe they have received it. But actually, it's the other way around. That's the way it works. You have to believe you have your petition and then you get it. You might say that you know God's word is good, but you'll never really know God's word is good until you have acted on it and have reaped the results of it. That's what faith is. Faith is proving God's word by acting on it. Faith is giving substance to the things hoped for. God's word says that God is the strength of my life. And as I act on God's word, my faith gives substance to that which I hope for. Strength to get my word done, praise God. You see, a lot of folks just hope and they stop right there. But that ain't faith. That's hope. Hope ain't going to bring you any kind of substance. Only faith is going to bring you the substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope doesn't have any substance, but faith gives substance to hope. Somebody out there might say, well, I hope God heard my prayer. Well, if that's all you're doing is hoping, you ain't going to receive an answer to get you uh, to what you prayed for because it's faith that moves God, not hope. Hope isn't what causes God to hear your prayer. Faith is. And if you're only hoping, there ain't going to be an answer to your prayers. However, your faith can give substance to your hope. In fact, faith will give answers to your prayers. And if you remember, hope says, I'll have the answer to my petition sometime. But you know what faith says? I got the answer to my petition right now. (laughs) Right now. Praise God. John, John Wesley said and told us that the devil has given the church a substitute for faith that looks and it sounds a lot like faith. And a lot of people can't tell the difference. You know what he called it? He called it mental assent. For example, many people see what God's word says and they agree mentally that God's word is true. But all they're doing is just agreeing with their minds. But mental agreement with the word is not what gets the job done, folks. It's heart faith that receives from God. That's why the Bible says, For with the heart man believeth. Romans 10.10 10. For with the heart man believeth. Jesus talked about believing with the heart in Mark 11 and 23. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, okay but shall believe that what he saith comes to pass he shall have it now if you'll notice that the Bible never said one word about doubting in one's head you can you can have doubt in your head and still have faith in your heart but it's believing in your heart that's going to cause you to receive from God folks they, they might ask you How can I tell whether I have faith in my heart or whether I'm just believing mentally with my head? Well, you can tell because mental agreement or mental assent says, I know God's word is true. I know God's promises, me healing and the answers to my prayer or whatever it is that you need. But for some reason, I can't get it. I can't understand it. Well, why then don't I have the answer to my petition? Well, folks, People who are saying that after they prayed the prayer of faith, they're only in mental assent. They're not in real Bible faith or heart faith. Faith, real faith in God's Word says, if God's Word says it's so, then bless God if so. The promise is mine and I got it now. Faith always says, I have it, even though I can't see it, I got it. Now notice what the text said. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Someone might say, well, yes, yeah, but the thing that I've been praying about, I don't see. It hasn't come to pass yet. But if you already had it, you wouldn't have to believe it. You wouldn't know it then, right? In order to come to that place of knowing, you have to take that step of believing without seeing, based only on your faith in the integrity of Of God's Word too many people want to know it first and then believe it which is they want to know it from the natural standpoint of having it come to pass first but we know we have received what the Word tells us is ours because God's Word says that it's ours and when we believe God's Word without seeing anything manifested in the natural realm then what we're believing God for materializes. Jesus said in Mark 11 24, Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that ye receive them, and you shall have them. So if you'll notice, the having comes after the believing. Most folks want to turn that around, how first, Have it first nimbly. But in common everyday language, Jesus was saying that you have to believe you have your petition before you get it. I don't know about you, but I ain't never been able to receive healing from my body without first believing that I had received my healing. Even whenever a symptom in my body was crying out. You ain't got your healing, boy. You ain't healed. But here's what I do. I just simply say to my flesh, the Bible says let God be true and every man a liar, Romans 3 and 4. So if you say I'm not healed, you're a liar because God's word says I am. Just do that. Then when I act in faith on God's word instead of acting on what I feel, results are always forthcoming. It works 100 times out of 100. But if you're going to sit around and groan and murmur, and sigh, and gripe, and complain, and wait for something to come to you, you ain't never going to get far in faith. And I'm talking about real Bible faith. Believe what the Bible says and not what your senses tell you. If you're going to wait until you uh, detect that every symptom has gone and your flesh corresponds with your faith, excuse me, and everything is fine before you're going to start believing God, then you're out of order, folks. <coughs> Excuse me. And out of line with the word. And you ain't going to get very far in faith that way. You see, the trouble is that so many people are like doubting Thomas. That was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Thomas said in John chapter 20 and verse 25, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Then when Jesus appeared to the disciples, and Thomas saw Jesus, here's what Thomas said. My Lord and my God. Now, did Jesus praise Thomas for his lack of faith? No. Jesus told him, he said, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed, in John 20 and 29. In other words, Thomas didn't believe in Jesus' resurrection by faith, as you and I believe in it. Thomas believed because he saw Jesus. He saw him with his physical eyes, and he relied totally on his senses. But us, we believe in Jesus' resurrection because the Word of God says it. Jesus was raised from the dead we know that and that's where many people miss it In the area of faith without really realizing it. They say I believe in divine healing because so-and-so got healed But that's not Bible faith there. I don't believe in healing because I saw somebody get healed I believe in healing because the Word of God says healing belongs to me. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, Matthew 8 and 17, and 1 Peter 2, 24. I don't believe in speaking in tongues just because somebody speaks in tongues. No, I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues because the Word of God teaches it. I would still believe in it even if I had never heard anyone else speak in tongues, folks. Because I believe what the Bible says, not what I see and hear. My faith is not in what I can see and hear. My faith is based on what God says. You see, when we develop our faith to the place where we believe what the Word says, regardless of whatever the circumstance is or physical symptoms are, then we're believing the right thing. And that, my friend, is what brings results. Thomas said, I will not believe until I see. And Jesus said, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So those who believe what the word of God says, apart from what they see or feel with their physical senses, that's the ones that are blessed. Now let's go to Romans 4 and 17 through 21. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made thee, before him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead, and calls the things that are not as though they were, who in hope believed against hope, to the end that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall thy seed be. And without being weakened in faith, he considered his own body now as good as dead. He being about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet looking into the promises of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God and being fully sure that what he had promised, he was able also to perform And it's a real difference between Abraham's faith and Thomas's faith, isn't it, folks? Thomas's faith was just simply a a regular old natural human faith. He said, I ain't going to believe unless I can see and feel. But the word of God says that Abraham believed God's word and he considered not his own body. Well, if Abraham didn't consider his own body, that means he didn't consider physical sight or physical feeling, did not he? What did he consider then? He considered the Word of God. He considered the promise of God. Romans 4, 2, uh, uh, 21. Being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Hebrews 3 and 1. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, even Jesus. And God tells us in His Word exactly what not to consider. And then He tells us what to consider. Or we could say it this way. God tells us in His Word exactly what not to consider. And then He tells us whom to consider. The Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. (coughs) The Bible says... Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses in Matthew 8 and 17. There have been too many times we get our attention focused on the wrong thing. And when it comes to healing, we consider our own bodies and the symptoms that try to attack our bodies. That's what we're thinking about and looking at. And the more you look at the symptoms, the worse you're going to get. And you might hear people say, God hasn't heard my prayer yet, and I'm getting worse. I guess I'll wind up being operated on. Well you're going to. You will as long as you travel that road of doubt and unbelief. Bless God. Jesus said, According to your faith, be it done unto you in Matthew 9 and 29. Sometimes folks come up to me and say, Brother Michael, pray for me. I believe I'm getting a cold. Well, Folks, I'm going to tell you something. It ain't going to do any good for me to pray for them. Because if they believe they're going to get a cold, then bless God, they're going to get it. Because the Bible says, according to your faith, be it unto you. You keep on believing for it and you're going to get it. You see, I'm trying to get you to see what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Too many people consider the wrong thing instead of considering God's promises in his word of God. Some people just get a part of what I'm saying and go off thinking in an altogether different light than what I am really uh, teaching here. They think I'm teaching that we're to deny all symptoms and just go on as if symptoms weren't even there. We don't deny symptoms because they are real. Pain is real. I hate pain. Sin is real. The devil is real. But notice what the Bible said. Here's what the Word of God says. Abraham considered not his own body. So don't consider your body, but do consider Jesus. He is the high priest and the author and the finisher of your faith in Hebrews 12 and 2. Center your attention and your mind on what Jesus has already done for you and what he's doing for you as your high priest. Jesus is doing something for you right now because he's seated at the right hand of God, right now making intercession for you. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore also he is able to save to the uttermost them that draw near unto God through him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. And in Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And he's talking about our confession of faith, folks. We wouldn't do Hebrews 4.14 any injustice by reading it this way. This is the reason we have to hold fast to our confession. Because we have such a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, The Greek word that's translated confession implies that this verse can also be read. Let us hold fast to saying the same thing. That just means that Jesus, our great high priest, is representing us at the throne of God. And Jesus is saying, I took their place. I died for them as their substitute. He didn't die for himself. Jesus didn't die for himself. He didn't need to be redeem himself because he wasn't lost. But he did need to die for us because we were lost. He became our substitute. And he took our sins. He bare our sicknesses. And he carried our diseases. He died for us. And he arose from the dead for us and ascended on high for us. And Jesus is right now at the right hand of the throne of God said I did all that for them. So we are to hold fast to our confession, saying the same thing here on the earth in what the Word says. And that's what puts the devil on the run, folks. So get your attention, focused on the right thing. Get it on Jesus, our, 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 this, this high, great peace, priest that we have, and on his Word instead of on yourself. Now, let's look at another passage of Scripture along this same line. Let's look at Proverbs 4 and verses 20 through 22. <clears throat> my son, attend to my words, and climb thine ears unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they, my words, are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Now I'd like to call your attention particularly to one verse. Verse 21 says, Let them, he's talking about my words, not depart from thine eyes. Too many people fail because they see themselves fall. They keep the wrong thing before their eyes. The reason that a lot of folks fail is that they get ready to fail. They see themselves failing. Quit that. (laughs) Now, again, notice what the word says. Let them, he's talking about his words, not depart from before thine eyes. Proverbs 4 and 21. If you know that God's word says himself, talking about Jesus, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, then if that word doesn't depart from before your eyes, you're bound to see yourself without sickness and without disease. And if the word doesn't depart from before your eyes, you're bound to see yourself well, okay? And if you don't see yourself without sickness and disease, and if you don't see yourself well, then that word has departed from before your eyes. And although God wants to make his word good in your life, he can't because you're not acting on his word. You know, it's, it's hard for me to follow the thinking of some people. To think that God is just going to do something for them without doing, they're doing what the word says. And it's real intelligent. God isn't going to move on your behalf if you don't cooperate with his word. Praise God. You see, God can't move on your behalf even if you wanted to. If you're not acting on the word. If he did, he'd make himself out to be a liar. and The Bible says God can't lie. God gives us directions right here in Proverbs chapter 4 for taking his medicine, okay? Proverbs 4:22 says for they, God's words are life unto those that find them and health or medicine to all their flesh. So you got to take God's word according to his directions because God's words are medicine to all our flesh. Now But verses 20 and 21 tells us the directions for taking the medicine. What's God's medicine? Has God got any medicine? Yeah, praise God, he does. God's word is God's medicine, praise God. For they, he's talking about my words, are life unto those that find them and health, that's medicine, to all their flesh. But in order for that medicine to work, it has to be taken according to the directions, folks. Proverbs 4:21. let them, by word, not depart from my, thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. So you have to keep looking at what the word says. You see, so many folks are looking at themselves, at their conditions and at their symptoms. And if God's word assures you that he heard and answers your prayer, then if that word doesn't depart from before your eyes, you're going to see yourself with what you prayed for. Praise God. And that's faith in God's word. When you see yourself with the answer based on God's word, that's when you know your faith is solidly based on the word of God. You see, because failing to take God's medicine, his word, according to instructions, is the thing that defeats so many folks in their prayer life. And if you'll notice, all of that agrees with what Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty four. 24. What things soever ye desire when you pray, believe that you received them and you shall have them. You got to believe that you got your answer before you get it. And you might have people out there saying, I ain't going to believe anything I can't see. But even in the natural realm, we believe a lot of things that you can't see. Folks, you can't see or feel radioactivity. But i tell you what, you can definitely see and feel the results of radioactivity because it's a destructive power. There's a lot of scientists believing many things they can't necessarily see But just as people became alarmed about the unseen radioactivity in this world and believed it even though they couldn't see it or feel it, the same way applies to me. I believe in the power of God even though I can't see it or feel it. I believe what the Word of God says about the Holy Ghost, the great unseen power of God. Whether or not I feel it or see Him don't make any difference. Besides, I have had some of the greatest healings Take place in, in meetings that I've carried out that I didn't never felt a thing. I've had some of the most wonderful things happen when the service seemed dead. You might have a, just just seemed like everything was just dead. So I'm just telling you this because feelings don't have a thing in the do in the world to do with faith, because God is with me. And his power is always available, whether I feel like it or not. I'm not basing my faith on what I feel. I'm basing my faith on what God said. And what did he say? He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13 and 5. Now, Hebrews 13 and 6 says, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Folks, is that what you're saying now? Are you boldly declaring the Lord is my helper? That's what you need to be. Well, someone might say the Lord forsaken me. Y'all pray for me. I don't feel like I once did. Your feelings don't have nothing to do with it. What the Bible said. And I've heard people say, I don't know whether I can make it or not. I hope I can. Y'all pray for me that I'll hold out faithful to the end. That's not what the word says we're to boldly declare, folks. There are too many people out there boldly declaring their defeat and failure. I'm whipped. I'm defeated. devil's gotten me bound. But there ain't nowhere in the Bible do you find where he said to boldly say that. The writer of Hebrews said, for he, talking about Jesus, has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In order that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. So we need to get our tongue straightened up with the word of God, don't we? Quit saying the wrong thing and start saying the right thing. And start saying, the Lord is my helper. Is he, folks? Then say that he is. Praise God. <coughs> Just say this, the Lord is my hitter. Say this, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. What, didn't he? Then keep talking about God delivering power. Say the right things and believe the right thing. Folks, it's just simply wrong thinking and wrong believing and wrong talking. that whips, folks. You see, the devil can't defeat you because Jesus has already defeated the devil for you. The Satan doesn't defeat you. You defeat yourself. Or if he does, you permit him to do so. It's a consent of ignorance. God has given us his word to get our thinking straightened out so that we won't be ignorant. And so our believing will be right. And if our thinking is right and our believing is right, then our talking's going to be right. So here's what we start saying. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my strength. And real faith in the word said, if God says it's so, then bless God, it's so. And if God says, by his stripes I was healed, then bless God, I'm healed. And if God says he shall supply every need of mine, then he does it, praise God. Philippians 4, 19. If God says he's the strength of my life, then bless God, he is. Psalms 27 and 1. In other words, real faith in God simply says about oneself what the word says. And thank God that I have what the word says I have. I am what the word says I am. And if if God says I'm strong, then bless God I'm strong. If he says I'm healed, then bless God I'm healed. And if he says he cares for me, then I know that he does. So what I do, I just simply quietly rest on what the word of God says. For the word says, for we which have believed do enter into rest in Hebrews 4 and 3. So quietly rest on the word, regardless of natural evidence that would satisfy the physical senses. You know, real faith is built on the word of God. And we should meditate in the word and dig deeply into it and feed upon it. And then the word is going to be, uh, it'll become a part of you. Just like natural food becomes a part of us, in other words, what natural food is to the physical man, the word of God is to the spiritual man. So this word builds into me, the real me, the inward man, confidence and assurance. Remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. It ain't God's fault that prayer doesn't work. If our prayers don't work, it isn't God's fault because God never fails. If our prayers don't work, it's not Jesus' fault because Jesus never fails. God doesn't change, and prayer doesn't change God. He's just the same before you pray, when you pray, and after you pray, folks. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes circumstances, but prayer doesn't change God. He's always the same, and that means he's always faithful to his word. If I pray for any one thing, or pray just one time for anything, and I don't get it, I start changing. I start changing because if I pray, and that prayer isn't answered, then there's got to be a change on my part before the answer comes. I know there can't be any changing on God's part because he don't change. So if there has to be any change, it has to be on my end of the line. So if I pray and don't receive, then I start changing, getting into the Word and find out what's going on. So we need to realize that we can't substitute hope for faith and get answers from God. Now, don't misunderstand me. If you keep hope in the right place, it is a, a, a blessed and wonderful reality to you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 and 13, and now about a faith, hope, charity, which is love, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, he didn't say that faith and hope aren't important. He said the greatest of the three is love. But each one of them has its place. For example, you can't substitute love for hope and you can't substitute hope for faith. And yet, in dealing with a lot of people throughout the years and i know that most people are trying to receive healing or they're trying to receive the baptism of the holy ghost or an answer to a prayer based on hope instead of faith most of us have our hope misplaced and if you're trying to make hope to do what only faith can do and that's received from god okay well, I'm out of time. God bless you. Hopefully we can continue this next week. Lord willing. God bless you, saints. Love you.
0: For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels. Post office box twenty three sixteen sixteen 16 Montgomery Alabama 36123 Can quench my thirsting soul pure as water made me whole let your streams of mercy flow oh Jesus I trust in you face that darkest night. What will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white. Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart, in you I find mercy seated for all time.